Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Right, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And uh, we've got a couple more weeks in this series we've been going through entitled, uh, We Want a King. And uh, the main series idea through this whole thing has been that true success is only achieved when the Lord leads True success is only achieved when the Lord leads. And as we continue to navigate through this, my prayer is that we will start to get a broader understanding of how this very situation throughout 1 Samuel applies very directly to our current situations. And even further as we move into later in the year, when you start considering, and I tell you, every time we face an election season, people continually will ask me, how do we process this whole political tension biblically? How do we do that and how do we do it well? And my prayer is that this gives you some foundational work in Scripture to be able to state and say, this is how we need to process this, and in many ways, we see examples of how not to process through this, right? And at the end of the day, the conviction that I pray for, for us as, as the church, is that we identify and say, true success can only happen if God is the one leading. And that's true in my own life, that's true in our church, that's true around the world. And unless God is leading and people are allowing God to be the one to lead, and we know, we know this church, that that's not going to happen in its entirety until Jesus comes again, right? And so there's this tension that's going on all over. There's a tension. We see that not only on a personal scale, but on a broad scale. We see a tension in ourselves between our flesh and what God's called us to in Christ. We see this tension around us, around the world, between what is of the world and what is that which God has called us to. And so at the end of the day, I want us to lean into this and go, man, true success can only happen if God is leading. And it starts here. It starts right here. Now, a big part of this, in today's focus of this message, deals with expectations. Okay? Expectations. Now, to illustrate this, I've got a balloon here. And this balloon can be used for lots of things. It could be a fun thing. It can be a really annoying thing. If you've ever had kids that learned how to pull the ends... And run through the house. Okay? But the reality is, I don't always know what to expect. Oh. Didn't see that coming, did you? Oftentimes we kind of get an idea of what to expect. But 
there's a lot of circumstances where we just don't really know what to expect. This takes place in our marriages. So many couples who come in because they're having marriage struggles, their first statement is, I don't know when this happened. Or I'll have someone come in and they're just going on and on about their spouse and how they're having this really hard time with their spouse being this person. And my first words sometimes to them are, man, can you believe you married a sinner? What do you expect? Children, same way, right? You have this picture maybe in your mind of what it's going to be like to parent and then things are not that way. And you have to adjust and these expectations are different. How about church? What we call church when we gather in a building and we say this is church and then something like this current season happens and all of a sudden what I expect this to be is not the case. Leaders. Whether we realize it or not, when we come to a place of evaluating leaders, we often come with our own set of expectations that this is what it's going to look like and this is what it's going to be. And this is precisely what we see happening here at the nation of Israel in 1 Samuel. And we saw in the last couple of weeks, and if you haven't done so, please this week take time to read 1 Samuel 1 through 8, okay? You can read basically a chapter a day. Starting, if you go home, you start tonight, start in chapter 1. By next week, you'll, you'll get through most of it. But to understand all that's happening here, you read through that. But we see Israel enter this time where Samuel is leading. Things are good. Samuel appoints his sons to lead. They are not following the Lord. And so the leaders come before Samuel and they're like, Samuel, you're old. Your sons don't follow the Lord. So here's our solution. Here's what we expect. And this is what we expect to work. And what happens within the scope of that is it, Samuel's not happy about this. So Samuel goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, and God says, Samuel, you do what the people have told you to do. And at the end, uh, or in verse 9 of chapter 8, it says, now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago in saying that the demand for a king comes with a warning. It comes with a warning. And so we're going to read verses 10 through 22 because in this Samuel gives the warning specifically to the people about what they should expect. But before we read that, here's what I want you, if you take nothing else away, here's what I want you to take away today. The main idea for uh, this time is that earthly kings should come with earthly expectations. Earthly kings, and you could fill this in with leaders, earthly leaders, earthly rulers, earthly kings should come with earthly expectations. What should we expect from an earthly king? That's our subject question for today. And I want you to recognize as we read this that we often see a fluctuation of this depending on the person that's ruling, some more so than others. So if you continue reading from 1 Samuel on and you read through Kings and Chronicles, you continue on there, you're going to see this variation. You've got some kings 
Uh, some of them as young children, as we would see them, who started to reign at age eight, and they followed after the Lord. And then these other people who saw it as a power grab, and they did for their own gain, and they ruined nations and people groups. But one thing you see for certain is that no matter who the earthly king was, they were still an earthly king. Earthly kings should come with earthly expectations. So let's read 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 10. It says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord. Now, this is important, okay? Samuel told all the words of the Lord. Everyone say the Lord. To the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers, to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. Lord, as we evaluate some of this and consider the application today, may you bring clarity and may you challenge us as we seek to have biblical expectations and to proceed forward in a way that glorifies ultimately your name and not our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will just want to summarize here and kind of bullet point the warnings that Samuel gives to the nation of Israel. The first one is essentially expect the king to be selfish. Expect the king to be self-serving. I don't know if you realize this as we were reading this section of Scripture, but the most commonly repeated word throughout this whole section was what? Did you see it? It was His. 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 Himself. Over and over. He will take your sons and appoint them to His chariots and to be His horsemen. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and equipment of his chariots. He will take your grain and give it to his servants over and over and over again. Expect the king to be self-serving. Now, this should, this should come as kind of an obvious thing to us if we really take the main focus and go, earthly kings should come with earthly expectations. Why should that be obvious? Because Scripture thoroughly reveals that as human beings, we have a problem 
with selfishness. It is not a surprise when someone comes to me and says, man, I struggle with selfishness. I'm going, me too. Because we're human. And in fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Garden of Eden, the temptation was not the fruit. The temptation was, God's holding out on me. God just doesn't want you to be like Him. And so they went, whoa, man, I think you're right. I want to be like God. It was selfish, right? Self-serving. And in fact, Isaiah 53 emphasizes this even further, where it speaks directly that we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned to what? His own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the reality is what I want you to see here is when we see Samuel warning the people, hey, this guy is going to be selfish. He's going to be worried about his advances and his kingdom and his power and bringing about his plan and purposes. We should go, I'm not surprised. Why? Because we are selfish people. And if we have an earthly leader, an earthly ruler, then we should assume and expect that that person's going to struggle with selfish tendencies. No matter who you are. Some people handle it better than others, right? There's an ebb and flow here, and we see that depending on the person who's leading. But every single one of us at some point or another has a struggle or a tendency to simply want what's best for ourselves. And the challenge of Scripture and what we see God doing, my goodness, if God functioned like that, I want you to think how different the Old Testament would be. If God was like, man, I am going to function with what is best for me. How many times do we see him bring Israel out of bondage because they chose to worship another God? Like, God, seriously, how many times are you going to continue to bring these people out of this? And then I go, oh my goodness, what am I saying? God, I'm so thankful that you continue to show faithfulness to me over and over and over and over and over again. But that's the expectation or that's the reality or the truth that comes from an eternal, heavenly king, God who sits on the throne, an earthly leader is not going to embody that principle. Expect the king to be selfish. Second thing that Samuel warns of the people, expect the king to demand the best. We see this specifically in 14 through 17, where it says, He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. Expect the king to demand the best. Now, this easily ties into the first warning. He's going to be selfish. He's going to be self-serving. And so the reality is, yeah, I want the best. I want the best of the best. I'm in charge. I'm the king. I'm the ruler. So obviously I want the best. And if we stop and we listen to leaders, you will start to pick up on these truths and these realities when we start to listen with an ear to say, God, what is the motivation and pursuit of this individual? And what should I expect? Really, what should I expect? 
Expect the king to be selfish. Expect the king to demand the best. Thirdly, we see this in verse 18. Expect an earthly king to cause you to mourn. Expect the king to cause mourning. Look at verse 18. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And this is a very convicting verse to me. Because how often, when it comes to leadership and expectations of leadership, do we want to have our cake and eat it too? How often do we come to this and say, well, God, I want, just like Israel, I want a king who's going who's gonna to rule the way I think they should rule. And at the same time, we go, God, I want you to be king. I want you to be Lord of my life. Well, which is it? Which is it? And while so often we have this concept that I am going to lean into and pursue biblically what I'm supposed to with God as the head, we often tend to fall back into our earthly patterns, our selfish patterns, because that's what we feel right now is a need. We look at all these issues, we look at all this chaos, all these problems, we go, man, we need someone who's in the leadership role who could take care of all of this stuff. I agree. But what do I expect? What should I expect of an earthly leader? And are my expectations healthy expectations? Or am I unconsciously replacing what a leader should look like on earth with the only leader who can look that way according to the Bible? And then we have to answer that question for us as the church. Who do we allow to lead us? And I'm going to tell you, I pray every single week that when that question is asked, your answer is not me. Because if you all end up following me, we are on a crash course for destruction. We have got to follow the Lord. And if that means at any time I am not following the Lord, then you absolutely should not follow me. That's why accountability is so crucial. And ultimately that our eyes remain fixed on the only one who's going to bring complete redemption to all of this. And it's not an earthly ruler. What do you expect? Now, the people respond to this, okay? Let's look at the people's response in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Now, this is a great opportunity for us to participate together and bring this to life because I love doing this, right? I'm going to read that sentence again and I want all of you to go, oh, okay? Because once again, we see this happen. Alright, so I'm going to read it again. I want you to play along with me. We're going, to, we're going to enact this. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Oh, so discouraging. And they said, No, 
Now we're going to act it out again, okay? Only this time you're going to be the voice of Israel. I want to hear your no, like, I'm stubborn, no. I know you can do this, all right? Like a stubborn, I am no, I've heard what you said, Samuel, we're not going to do it, all right? So I'm just going to read those three words and I want you to fill in the blank with the no, okay? And they said, no. Oh, we could do better. We're going to try again, one more time, okay? And they said, no. Oh, that was much better. But there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Now look closely here at what the people's reasoning was to demand a king and disobey the warnings that were there. That we may first be like all the nations. And we saw this when the elders came to Samuel at the beginning of chapter 8. Appoint us a king like all the other nations. This is this, this, those, those other nations, man, they're successful. So why wouldn't, what, what do they have that we don't? Oh, they have an earthly king. That's the solution. So no, Samuel, you're wrong. You're going to appoint us a king because we want to be like all the other nations. Secondly, that our king may judge us and go out before us. Now understand that this is coming on the tail of the period of the judges. And so they were used to having someone who basically conducted the, uh, the, the business of the communities and who was a decision maker and who kind of facilitated this. But up until this point, they had never been a king. They were called a judge because their primary responsibility was to judge before God what the response should be according to people's problems. And they would raise up in a time where people were repenting and confessing and seeking the Lord, and they would bring them out of their bondage and into a season of following after the Lord. But they wanted someone to judge them. And then the third reason was, we want someone to fight our battles for us. And I can't think of a more human answer and reason to demand a king. I want someone to fight for me. Despite all these warnings, man, if they'll fight, they'll, they'll fight our battles for us. Aren't you the nation of Israel who just right before this saw God defeat the Philistine army without using any of you? What? How often, church, do we do the same thing? This is, I read these stories and I go, oh God, what are we doing? Over and over again, we repeat the same cycles. And God shows up and provides and brings about reconciliation. He brings about all this and so much more. And then over here, we're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what's going to happen. Didn't he show up over here? Why, why, why all of a sudden when we're over here do we, do we lose sight that he showed up every time? No, it's usually never in your timing, okay? The most practical example I could give of that is when we were moving back to Illinois. We were halfway across the country before I got a phone call that said, Hey, would you like to stay in our house over the summer? I'm like, 
I don't know what's going to happen, Lord. <laughs> it's not my timing, but hey, he showed up. And yet I'm just as guilty of when the seasons come where I'm like, oh, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to get to this next phase. I lose sight of this, just like the nation of Israel has lost sight of this. God has done all of these things for his people, and yet they continue to demand an earthly king. What should we expect? Now, the reality is, there's some really interesting ties here. And when we come to our application section of this, there's really two questions I want to challenge you to ask as the church. And that is, what do you expect? And how will you respond? What do you expect? And how will you respond? Now, I want to bring this even a little more current, okay? Because we see the same pattern continued into the New Testament when Jesus began and finalized His ministry here on earth. The most vivid picture we see of this is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And all the people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all. Hosanna! What were they convinced of? He's going to overtake Rome. He's going to rule. He's going to be our earthly king. Thousands of years later, when this takes place, the nation of Israel is still in the same cycle. And in fact, I found this short quote the short expert by New Testament scholar N.T. Wright and he describes this expectation and I thought it paralleled so well with our study in 1 Samuel as we consider this carrying over even into the time of Christ and how we can see this carry over into our expectations today and he says this the coming king according to the Jewish idea and Messiah king would do two main things According to a variety of texts, and as we study a variety of actual would-be royal movements within history, first, he would build or restore the temple. Second, he would fight the decisive battle against the enemy. David's first act upon being anointed was to fight Goliath. His last was to plan the temple. Judas Maccabeus defeated the Syrians and cleansed the temple. Herod defeated the Parthians and rebuilt the temple. Bar Kochba, the last would-be Messiah of the period, aimed to defeat the Romans and rebuild the temple. It is unlikely that the followers of a crucified would-be Messiah would regard such a person as the true Messiah. Jesus did not rebuild the temple. He had not only not defeated the Romans, he had died at their hands in the manner of failed revolutionary leaders now consider this for a second in the eyes of the Jewish people that was the expectation that the king the Messiah king would accomplish these earthly entities and in the process so many have missed what Jesus actually accomplished, which was so much greater. 
the ability for all who believe to enter into an eternal kingdom that cannot be thwarted because it's ruled by the one king. And that came to be through Christ. So distinct and so different from the expectations of an earthly ruler and leader. And so I ask you, what do you expect? What do you expect of an earthly ruler or leader? And are you expecting with great anticipation what is going to come only when the true king reigns on earth? So church, I challenge you to answer the question, what do you expect and how will you respond? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Let's pray together. Father, we are in need of your rule here. And God, we recognize that so often we expect from earthly rulers what ultimately can only take place when you are the one fully leading. So God, I pray that in this time as we are anticipating and longing for the return of your Son, that you would raise up godly earthly leaders who desire to follow after your purpose and your plan. God, I pray that you would remind us as the church to our purpose within your plan. God, give us discernment and biblical convictions as we seek to make decisions and choices that impact generations to come. And God, I pray that our attitudes... And our eyes would remain fixated on who you are and what you've called us to be as your people. Tear down the idols of earthly leaders that unintentionally have been set up and root us further into your truth and who you are, I pray. I pray this all in Jesus' name.